0: Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3. We'd like to read responsively this morning, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse number 6. I'll read all the odd or even numbered verses. Would you please read with me in unison together, verses 13 and the succeeding odd and numbered verses through verse number 5 of chapter 4. Once again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 12 to the end of the chapter, and then chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and reading responsively. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, Beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we feign not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. In the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, take these wonderful words of Scripture and speak to everyone's heart this morning, and we'll thank you for it. Lord, have your will and way in our midst, and I pray plainly, Lord, that if there be someone here that knows not Christ is Savior that today would be the day of their glorious salvation, and we'll thank you for it. Bless with our children downstairs as well. In a few minutes, bless the rest of this remainder of this service, we ask. May you be honored and well-pleased, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 again. And as most of you probably know, the Bible, when it was written, wasn't written with a chapter and verse, it was written just as a letter. And so... Uh, chapter 3, of course, runs into chapter 4, but it's all one context. And I draw your attention to a very simple passage, the whole passage, and I want to be very simple this morning, by the way, on purpose. I draw your attention to our text verse, it's verse 4 of chapter 4, to be honest with you, but I want to read verse 3. The Bible says, but if our gospel, now the word gospel, that's a wonderful word to the Christian. The word gospel in the Greek language is the word eangelion, and we need to get our word evangel or evangelistic from. And, uh, of course, the word gospel means good news. But if our gospel be hid, and sad to say it's hidden to many, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse 4 is our text verse. In whom the God, notice the Bible says the God there is the small g, that's the God of this world, that's Satan, that's Lucifer, in whom the God of this world hath blinded, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest get it now, bless the light of the glorious gospel. That word "glorious" is the root word, of course, is glory. That's the word "doxa." We get our word "doxology" from. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We call that the doxology, or the the and with that wonderful. Praise course, of course, this glorious, praiseful gospel, this gospel that should be shouted and evangelized, and this good news of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says this glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them, and they should be saved. First Timothy 1.11 says this: According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, Paul said, and I had this thought this week. Started on Tuesday, as we preached a message on Obuakaya, or they gave a history lesson on the the one that developed a, the the Hawaiian language is less than 200 years old. It was started to get it was birthed right here in our backyard, one mile from here, and many of you know the story. But Oʻahuakai, a Hawaiian, wrote down for the first time in history letters, and he took uh, our our alphabet, and he condensed it. He took out eight consonants, and he made the Hawaiian language. And the first book to be written in Hawaiian was, of course, the book of Genesis. Later on, the missionaries from Goshen, Connecticut, and from leaving left from Boston in 1819, 200 years ago, they went to Hawaii, and they, they, the missionaries read the, wrote the first book of, of Hawaiian was, of course, the New Testament, and then the Old Testament. It was the first book that they, in the Hawaiian language was the Bible, and they heard the glorious gospel of Christ as Tuesday night I gave the story. I was reminded of the, the story of Kai giving the gospel. And how all the islands, the Sandwich Islands, the Hawaiian Islands, of course, came to know Christ as Savior over the period of the next three or four or five years up to 1825. And I had this question, and this is a, the premise of the whole message this morning, and I don't know about you, but I do know about you if you're saved. Isn't it good to be saved this morning? It's, it's the most wonderful thing in all the world. It's a glorious gospel. Salvation is glorious. It's wonderful. And uh, the words cannot express it. It's, it's, it's the, the unspeakable gift that we talked about last week from 2 Corinthians 9. But I ask the question, since the gospel is so wonderful, why doesn't everyone receive it? Since the gospel is so wonderful, why doesn't everyone receive it? Back to the story of Obuakai for just a second. I was reading a secular uh, columnist in, from Connecticut that wrote an article about, he discovered uh, Obuakai in Cornwall, Connecticut uh, just a few years back, and he wrote an article, and Obuakai, of course, was in hedonism, and of course, he grew up worshiping sticks and stones and sharks and uh, wood and so forth, and so forth. Uh, dumb idols as he found out to be and he turned to the living true God and this author said that that uh, as he was studying uh, the life of Abu Akai they changed one myth just for another myth he was referring to Christianity and I said to my in my mind how could this glorious gospel that transformed the Hawaiians from wickedness and hedonism for 500 years to throwing each other in volcanoes and and you know, mass executions and so forth, and torture and sacrifices to their false goddess Pele, how could they not see the glorious gospel of Christ? But there's many people even in America, millions upon millions that cannot see and understand the glorious gospel of Christ. The Bible does say in Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Jesus went on to say, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus said, I am the way. He's all the way, the truth and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way, and it's so simple. Uh, He came unto his own, the Bible says. He came to his own kinsmen, and his own received him not. My message this morning in my conundrum, and I'm wondering, I want to address the question from this chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. The gospel is so wonderful. It's called the Glorious Gospel. Why doesn't everyone receive it? Especially in America. I was watching football yesterday, and and, uh, you can hardly watch a football game, whether it's pro or college, and you'll see somebody in the stands hold up a big sign, and it'll say John 3.16. Been saying that for about 40 years at every football game. There's some designated Christian in the audience. And he holds up that verse For God, quote it with me, ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If the gospel is so wonderful and it's a free gift, why doesn't everybody receive it? Well, that's my question this morning that we want to address. And I think there's a progression in regards to the gospel. I want you to notice, if you would, please, Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Again, our text verse as we begin this morning. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And in inference, of course, the obvious conclusion is that they should be saved. But in gospel progression, I want you to know that everybody starts off in the same position. There's gospel blindness. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. There's gospel blindness. Now, I want to be very plain in my speech. Go back to chapter 3 and look at verse number 12 as we begin the dissection of our text now. Seeing then, you see the word glorious, by the way, in the preceding verse, verse 11. This glorious gospel that Paul is referring to, seeing then that we have such... Hope. What hope? That the hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our great hope. We have great plainness of speech. I want you to notice in regards to gospel blindness that there's blindness, blindness first of all, to plain speech. I said at the outset of our message, on purpose, I want to make life simple. I want to make the message very simple this, this, this morning. And... Uh, Jesus talked to a very sophisticated, very educated, very uh, well studied man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said these words He said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, John 3 3. Uh, the Bible tells us that to be saved, is, man must be born again. In plain speech, I asked you the question this morning. and Everybody's heard that term in America, uh, you must be born again. Jesus said, Marvel not that I said anything, you must be born again. How can something so simple be so complicated and so perverted and so misunderstood? The Bible says you must be born again. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't go there. I would think if born again is that important that you can't go to heaven without it, that you'd want to know what born again is. Wouldn't you agree with me? To be saved, to be born again, the Bible tells us that, and yet there's so many people that hear that phrase and they misinterpret it, they mock it, they laugh at it, they don't think anything about it. And, but Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, it shouldn't surprise us that people are blinded to the gospel because the God, of this mind blind, the God of this world hath blinded their minds. The Bible says, no man seeketh after God. Uh, whatever we have this morning, I don't think we even have 100 in the room here this morning here. But I promise you there will be about 1,000 cars that pass our church in the next hour, the in the half hour that we've been here, in another 25 minutes or so, half hour that we're here. And there many of those cars are passing. I don't want to say that none of them are Christians. I would like to think that many of them are Christians, but I kind of know better. And they don't think anything about, they're not thinking about God. They're thinking about the storm. They're thinking about getting to the store before the storm, storm comes. So are you right now. I know how you're thinking. And... Uh, he said, we got to get out here in time, pastor, so we can get to the store, get our milk and bread before the big storm hits of the century. You know, funny how we all work that way, but uh, no, the fact of the matter is we, there's gospel blindness because there's blindness, first of all, to, the, to plain speech, but not only blindness to plain speech, verse number 12, but then there's blindness to the Old Testament scriptures. Look at chapter 3, verse number 14. But their minds were blinded. Everybody starts off in the same position, same situation, blindness. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Now he's referring to a story that Jews knew that took place 1,500 plus years before this event, this writing took place. For 1,500 years, the Jews had their Old Covenant, their Old Testament. And people are blind, not only have gospel blindness to plain speech, but also to the pure Old Testament scriptures. Did you know the Old Testament scriptures reveal Jesus Christ? From the very beginning, from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. That's Elohim, that's plural, that's Hebrew 101. Every good Jew knows that there's only one God. But Elo, it's not El, it's Elohim, that's plural. They all know that it's plural. The Bible says in Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our own image. I had to wake you up. <laughs> According to our likeness, we call it the triunity, the trinity. One God manifested in three persons. Greatest mystery of godliness. But all the way through the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter said, to him, that's Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name Whosoever believeth in him should have remission or forgiveness of sins. If we go to the Revelation, Revelation 1910, let me give you a free verse. The Bible says that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All the way through the Old Testament, we see this the the, the prophecies given of Jesus Christ coming in his first advent, or his first coming, as we'll celebrate here in a few weeks from now, of course, as we, we call it Christmas, of course, many of us. The first coming of Christ. But the wise men, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they came from thousands of miles away as far as Afghanistan and India, and they asked Herod when they came to Jerusalem in the Middle East. They said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They read the Old Testament scriptures. They read in Genesis about the, a star shall rise out of, scepter shall rise out of Egypt, or out of Israel, pardon me, and a star shall rise out of the east. They read the prophecies of Jesus Christ uh, unto us behold a son is given uh, 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 he shall be uh, born of a virgin they read all these they read that he'd come to, to Bethlehem of Ephrata they came from thousands of miles away to worship the Christ because they saw him in the Old Testament scriptures and yet Herod and his entourage and Herod and his wise men his which were really fools they lived five miles away from Bethlehem and they had no clue they were blinded. Thousands of miles away, the wise men they they read the Old Testament, pure scriptures, and they, 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 they were their their eyes were opened, and they were no longer blind. They searched for Christ. Wise men, by the way, still seek Him, of course. And we see this this blinding by people that are so close. Bethlehem and Israel, or rather, Jerusalem, were less than five miles apart. If we were to turn to Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty-five, it speaks about. Two types of blinding, by the way. There's a personal blinding. Maybe you're here this morning. I hope it's not the case for anyone, but it could very well be. Probably is, even in this humble crowd. You could be here and spiritually blinded. You could be very highly educated, but be personally blinded to the things of God, especially the gospel of Christ. Like many Jewish people, Hebrews Romans eleven twenty five says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles become. You see, there's personal blindness. There's also judicial or national blindness. John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, and then he gave him the power to become the sons of God. I understand this is for you. I call you upperclassmen, you people that know your Bible well. The Old Testament or the Old Covenant was given primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to the Jews. First to the Jews. The New Testament or the New Covenant was given to us Gentiles through the church age. And I said primarily. It's for all people. The Bible's for all people. Red and yellow, black and white. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, bond or free. But there's a national rejection when people reject Christ. There's nations that have rejected Christ. Where Christ is not allowed to be spoken of to a Muslim nation today and try to speak the name of Christ, you, you, have, your, you have your head cut off, literally. And uh, why? Because it's against the law. The, the, the national, there's a national blindness. Well, the gospel starts off with a blindness. We're, we're dead in trespasses and sins. No man seeks after God. But then the progression as we go to the good news, we see not only gospel blindness, but secondly, we see a lesser degree of depravity, that is gospel hardening, gospel hardening. Look at chapter 3, verse 14 again. But their minds were blinded, we've already talked about that, for unto this day there, there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Notice verse number 15, and he relays the story when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, Getting the law, he had to put a veil upon his face because the glory of the Lord was shown around and about them, and they couldn't even the people couldn't see the glory of God without being killed. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. They have blinders on their heart. They have a hardened heart. heart, heart. It comes in two forms. First of all, gospel hardening, lesser than gospel blindness, but still very bad exhibits purposeful resistance. When the first martyr of the Christian church, if we were to turn to Acts 7, Stephen, when he, before he was about to be stoned by religious people, by the way, he said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your father did, so do ye. Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 1 He that being often reproved, hardened his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I've heard of several people that have died just this past week, two that I can think of died on Thanksgiving Day. And death comes to all of us. There comes a point in time where this life ceases to be. And we've heard this, the, the message of Jesus saves, we've heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. But we've resisted, we've hardened our heart. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, you need not turn there. But he talked to a religious crowd as he was getting ready to heal a, withered, a man with a withered hand. And when he looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the others. Gospel hardness. In John chapter 12, verse 37 to 40, we have another story. The Bible says that he did not many miracles before them, yet he did pardon me many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And later on in chapter verse 40, he says, "He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should see not see with their eyes and nor understand with their hearts, and be converted. And I heal them." I always say it this way, God's a gentleman God, and he speaks to us, but you, we've got to listen, and when we refuse to listen, he speaks to us a little softer. And if we refuse to listen, he speaks to us just a little bit softer. He, he comes in a still, small voice. The Bible says that you can, in Romans 121, because that when they knew God, when they heard the gospel of Christ, in other words, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful... First step of apostasy, by the way, in this Thanksgiving conclusion week is unthankfulness. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Gospel hardening begins with purposeful resistance, but it continues on with a persistent refusing. A persistent refusing. When Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 19 about the husbandman or the farmer that led us farm out to sharecroppers and he asked for a percentage of the bounty. He sent his servants to, they beat him and, and, uh, and sent his servants to get the bounty. And they, 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 they beat the servant and sent him away, of course, for nothing. Finally, he sends his son. But the Bible says in Luke 19:14, but the citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. they refusing to be saved, refusing to receive the Son of of God. Jesus said in John 5, 40, and ye will not come to me, not that ye cannot come to me, but ye will not come to me that ye might be saved. Jesus is a gentle shepherd. He's a gentleman God again. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he won't force you to be saved. He won't make you be saved. You've got to come to him. But if you harden your heart, Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation Proverbs says in three, ta- three times. It's a very, very dangerous thing to harden your heart to the gospel. It's a very dangerous thing to have gospel blindness. You, you can't be saved until you're once I was blind but now I see the light of the world is Jesus. Till that blindness is lifted. Till the veil is taken away but that hardening of heart there's, now there's a third degree lesser degree of blindness and hardening of heart there's Gospel dulling, dulling, D-U-L-L-I-N-G. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 again. Nevertheless, when it, what's the it refer to? Well, it refers to our heart. Nevertheless, when the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away, the veil of gospel blindness, the veil of hardening. You see, salvation is not just with the head, it's with the heart. How important do you understand that? How many, just be honest with you, just be honest with me, how many of you believed once upon a time in a big fat jolly man with a red suit and a white beard? He came from the North Pole and he had little elves. How many believed in that once upon a time? Yeah. Yeah, we almost most of us all bought the shh shh. Don't tell the kids. The the fable. We'll be nice here. I won't call it what it really is, but that's another story, I'm not trying to be mean we hit it in this Christmas season. But we but then we you see we believed with our heart, little kids. But then we got a, we then we got heads. We got educated. We find out no the little the, the little elves can't live in the North Pole and there's not a guy in a sleigh that, that goes down everybody's chimney and one night and that doesn't and we got educated. Well, the Christianity, Jesus said, except you be converted and become as a little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You don't come to Christ solely on your intellect. And it's not just with the head, but with the heart. Jesus chided Christians in Luke 24. He chided his disciples. Verse 25, he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is after he rose from the grave on the, the Emmaus Road. On Sunday, the first day of the resurrection day, he said, I not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all things, all the scriptures concerning himself. See, even Christians can get slow of heart, dull of hearing. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that. We can get dull to hearing the word of God and we can become slow of heart and we can start to question, even. Uh, the, the good things of the word of God. But unsaved people, they become dull of hearing. First they're blind. Everybody just for three seconds, a three-second exercise, if you would humor me. Close your eyes as tight as you can close them for three seconds. Ready? Go. Are you closing? You're not peeking, are you? Nobody peeking. It's pretty dark, isn't it? Okay, you can open them now. You know you can't see when you're in the dark. But there's hardness of heart. And that's to the lesser degree there's there's, there's dulling, and it's not just with the head, but the dulling of the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But spirit, gospel dulling does not only just include the, not just the head, but the heart, but it also, it's not sophisticated, but simple. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles, so if you would, please, to chapter 11 of this Second Corinthians. I want you to see the verse, please. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse number 3. You see, the gospel is not sophisticated, it's simple. Paul said, But I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled or tricked Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the What's the next word? Help me out. Simplicity. So the simplicity that's in Christ. Verse 4 says, For he, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive another spirit, in whom you have not received, nor another gospel, there's only one gospel, by the way, true gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Uh, about 20, 25 years ago, I think it's been now, I've never read the book, I've never seen the movie, I'd be afraid to see the movie. Don't raise your hand if you saw it. I'm, I think, pardon me, shame on you if you saw it, but I'm sure there's some people that did see it. I'm referring to Dan Brown's novel and his movie that he made, The Da Vinci Code. I never saw the movie, so I can't speak to total authority, but I understand the gist of the movie. And in the movie, I understand that in the book that Christ had, had adulterous affairs, that he had a relationship with Mary Magdalene, that he was promiscuous. I met many years ago now in Torrington. I was talking to somebody, and somebody piped up and said, I was talking to somebody was trying to give him the gospel and invite him to church, and he says, oh, have you seen The Da Vinci Code? And uh, I said, no, I haven't, and, uh, but I knew a little bit about it. And uh, they said, oh, you ought to see that. It's very revealing. It's very informative. And they, they believed the lie. They believed the lie of the devil, where they had the simple, pure word of God, and they won't believe that. So sad. And we see that people are dull because they, they're choosing to the sophisticated or the flirtatious or whatever you have for the simple gospel of Christ. So in the progression of the gospel, this glorious gospel, there's gospel blindness. We all start off in the same direction or the same way. There's gospel hardening. We resist. There's purposeful resistance. No man seeks after Christ. No man seeks after God. There's persistent refusing. We will not have this man to reign over us. There's gospel dulling. It's not just with the head. It's with the heart. It's not just not sophisticated, but simple. Back to chapter four of. 2 Corinthians. Notice verse number 2 now. Let me start in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, one ministry, this ministry of sharing the glorious gospel of Christ, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Christians just keep on keeping on sharing the gospel. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, or by making known the truth, Commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice this gospel hearing. We must hear the word of truth. Letter A on the worksheet. Hear the truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth from the beginning, the Bible says in Psalms. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm giving you the truth this morning. Hear it. Receive it. Hear this truth, not only hear the truth, but heed the spirit. Now, there's a lot of. I'm a tripartite being. You're a tripartite being. This is my name is Marty Shot. So there's Marty Shot, the the body, the 61 year old out of shape, getting too fat, been ugly ugly for a long time. Body. That's me. That's the part you see. The part you're experiencing and hearing is my soul. That's my personality. That's the real me. But somewhere deep inside of my body soul, there's a the spirit, and it's eternal. My spirit has been awakened by the spirit of Christ in the Holy Spirit of God. And we are to heed the spirit. Jesus promised in John 15, verse 26, but when the comforter, that's the name for the Holy Spirit, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Spirit bears witness, of, this, of the, gives testimony to Jesus Christ, to the veracity of the truth of Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, verse 13 of John, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit bears witness that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Christ, that he died on the cross. I think these words ring true with every, I know they ring true with every believer. I think they ring true with with people that are maybe here that not received the gospel yet. The world calls it your conscience. Some have said, let your conscience be your guide. There's a holy war going on. I've already used the illustration. I'm preaching with a microphone, of course. I'm preaching kind of loud. Some people think I need to preach louder. A lot of you want me to preach softer. I get it. But Jesus comes to us. The Spirit of God speaks to us in a still, small voice. And we need to heed that voice. But when we refuse that voice, that voice gets softer. And he speaks to us a little less Vocally, it's a little less, so, not so loud. And then he begins to speak to us very soft. and Almost to the point where we don't hear him anymore. And then he'll quit speaking altogether. You see, that's what happens when you harden your heart. But gospel hearing is where you start to wake up to the truth. Start to hear the truth. You start to accept the truth. And you heed the spirit. And that still small voice that says, that's right. I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. I need the gospel in my life. And it leads to this gospel blindness. If it gets past gospel blindness, it goes to gospel hardening, hardening a, little bit of, a little bit of softening, and then a little bit more softening past that to gospel dulling. Still, still very dull, but starting to wake up a little bit. Then you start hearing the gospel, this glorious gospel that's brokered by the word of God, the, the word of truth, and the Heeded to by the Spirit of God that speaks to our hearts in a still, small voice. But then it goes to chapter 4, text verses, verses 3 and 4 one more time. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. See, there's only two types of people in this room that I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to saved people and maybe lost people. Those that are going to heaven, that were on their way to hell. And those that are still on their way to hell. By the way, you can't go to heaven unless you know you're on your way to hell first. No one's ever saved that isn't lost first. But if our gospel is hidden and they're lost, in whom the God, small g again, Satan, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose image of God, should shine unto them. There's gospel number five. There's gospel lighting. We sang the song. I refer to it again. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. I would say to you in regards to this gospel lighting, run to it. Psalm one hundred nineteen, verse one hundred five. Thy word is the entrance of thy word, or rather, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm one thirty, verse chapter one nineteen, verse one thirty says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. And Jesus said, the Bible says that he is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man has that spark of wrong theology when we say spark of divinity, but there's a spark of conscience. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Jesus gives testimony, the whole world, this is year 2019, we're soon to be 2020, used to be young people, A.D., that's Latin for A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Our calendar testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,019 years ago. It's the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So I would say to you in regards to this gospel light, run to it. Then I would say, secondly, in regards to this gospel light back to chapter three of verse, verse 18, the last verse of the chapter. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory, the light or the docks of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. This gospel lighting, glory or relish it, relish in it, relish in it. Take joy in it, delight in it. We once was lost, but now I'm found. The light of the world is Jesus. Thank God for light. I was, uh, my wife and I have a difference of opinion for the last 38 years. I like a very dark bedroom to sleep in. She likes light. And uh, so we finally, I finally broke down. We finally have a little, little, one of those little plug-in, little five-watt lights for the hallway towards the bathroom, you know what I'm saying. Uh, A couple, three months ago, no joke, I'm walking back to my, from the middle of the night doing what I do in the middle of the night. And I walked back to my bedroom, and I had no light. But I, I know the path. You know what I'm saying? And I walked. And I was walking along, and I, there was a there was a rug. There was a actually a blanket on the floor. I didn't see it. I and I, I hit that blanket, and I and I I went straight smack down on my wood floor, face first on my wood floor. And I, I you know, I was mad, but I was praising God all at the same time. I was mad that I got hurt a little bit, but I was I was thank God I didn't get hurt too bad and I didn't break any bones or anything, and I said, how did that happen? I didn't hit, didn't bust, I didn't gash my head or whatever. And now we have this little lamp, this little nightlight here. So I can get to the bathroom, we can get back and forth to the bathroom without falling. Lights can be a good thing. Glory and relish in the light of Christ. But let me give you the, pro- the, the, the process one more time here. You can't be saved without the gospel. We're blind to the gospel. We all start off that way. We're hardened to the gospel. We get dull to the gospel. We have the light of the gospel, but that doesn't save us. Some of you might be here, and you know that Jesus is the light of the world, but you haven't done this sixth thing yet. This gospel receiving. You must receive. Look at First, Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse number five. For we preach not ourselves. I mentioned last week. I'll mention again. This is a Baptist church. I'm a Baptist preacher. I've been proud of that for a lot of years now. Thank you, Bob, for that. Amen. I One, one, amen of the whole congregation. I can be fleshly proud, or I can be humbly proud. I'm, sometimes I can't discern which one it is. But we don't preach ourselves. We don't preach Baptist. We don't preach Catholic. We don't preach Episcopalian. We don't preach Methodist. We preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. See, this gospel receiving is not, not receiving the church, but Christ. Let me be very kind here, at the same time succinct. How many millions of Americans think they're a Christian because they go to a certain denominational church? And let's pick on Baptists, since I happen to be one of those think down south of all the Baptist churches on every corner and in between, uh, uh, one on every corner and in between, uh, we were just down in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and I'm telling you, the Baptist churches are everywhere you look. And uh, you can be a Baptist, and there are many millions of Baptists probably thinking they're going to heaven because they're a Baptist. That's like walking in your garage and thinking you're a, Christ- you're a car because you're-, you're in a garage. It doesn't work that way. no when Paul said, I don't preach, we're not preaching ourselves, we're not preaching church. I may mean, deceive, deceived, of course I'm going to heaven, I've been in church all my life. Judas walked with God for Jesus Christ for three years. He walked and talked to them and he, he's not in heaven. You see, it's not by receiving church, it's not by receiving me, not by receiving, believing in me, it's believing in Christ. The gospel receiving is Christ alone, the hope of glory. And then not only the church in its reception, it's not receiving the church, it's receiving Christ, but not us, but him. The last part of verse number five says, and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. All that I'm trying to be is a servant of Jesus Christ. The best I can, and I try very hard, you may not know it, but I try very hard to preach a gospel message, a good message that with, with uh, proverbial meat and potatoes and uh, something that people can... Say, well, that was true. It may not deliver you may not have been that great, but I want to preach a message that doesn't lift up me, but lifts up lifts up Christ. You see salvation is not in your relative, it's not in your, your spouse. You won't go to heaven because your children are good, or because uh, your children, your parents are good. I don't want you to, by the way, to come become like me. I want you to become like Christ. Paul said that we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. There must be a time where you receive the gospel. For with the heart man believeth on the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is gospel receiving, but... Lastly, and this is, brings me full circle to the whole impetus of this message this, this morning, or the whole reason for this message. I can't tell you all the whys and wherefores, but starting Tuesday, Wednesday, of course, Thanksgiving week, last week, I was just so thankful to be saved. I saw, I saw several commercials on TV with Hollywood, country western singers and so forth, and uh, folks with all kinds of money and fame and wealth and so forth. And I saw this country-western singer on a commercial. And he swore he used Jesus' name in the commercial. I said, did he, he use Jesus' name? He did. He used it in cursing. In a commercial. Primetime television. And I said to myself, I see these actors. I see these Hollywood moguls. I see these, these rich people. And I said to myself several times over, subliminally in my mind at least, I said, I wouldn't take all the gold in China. I wouldn't want to be them for all the... Fame in all the world. I'd rather be little old Marty Shot that knows the wonderful, glorious gospel of Christ. I'd rather because I have more than they can possibly even think about having, because first number six of chapter four, last verse of our text. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory, the doxa, the the light of, the, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice gospel freeing. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by his wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out he would bring me out and show me the way. This gospel freeing is life and liberty. In John chapter 8, verse 32, there's a certain kingdom hall group of people. I feel sorry for them. They're very sincere, many of them. But they have as their text verse on much of their literature, John eight thirty two, and shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If they'd only read four more verses, they could get to verse thirty six. Jesus said, "If the Son therefore make you free, ye shall be free indeed." You go to chapter three, the end of the chapter, the verses sixteen and seventeen, especially verse eighteen. We see the freedom that's in the spirit of Christ, where the veil's lifted. There's liberty in Christ Jesus. There's freedom. We're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the, the shackles of this world. We're free from the penalty of our sin in a place called hell. There's gospel freeing. I was once blind, but now, I'm, now I see. I was once on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. Life and liberty. But then lastly, letter B, almost lastly, this gospel freeing includes holiness and happiness. Happiness. This light that's shining out of darkness. Jesus said in John 10:10 10, 10, the thief, that's Satan, that's the God of this world, he cometh but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I am coming to them, where I have life, and have it more abundantly. Everyone in this room, by him, by Jesus Christ, we live and move. I'm trying to beat my beat on my microphone. Hear that heart? Yeah, yeah. We have physical life by Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. The, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life, everlasting life in heaven. But we have a third life we don't talk about much. It's referred to in John chapter 10. I am coming to they I have life in heaven more abundantly. I've said it so many times, but I'll say it again. I feel like I'm the richest man in all the world. I'm rich by, everyone, by many people's standards. I've, I've traveled around. I've, I've been in four or five different countries. Some of you have been in more than that, I suppose. But I've, I've got to travel to some parts of the world. I live in a beautiful house. I drive a really fine car, a Cadillac there. So take that, my $7,000 Cadillac. I love it. I would like to ride a $70,000 Cadillac, but don't do that. I don't want one anyhow. I've been I'm a rich man, but not only just materially speaking, but I'm talking about spiritually speaking. I have all the happiness that anybody could have. Why? Because I have the glorious gospel. So I say all this to say this morning, as I had these thoughts this week and this Thanksgiving week, about the glorious gospel of Christ, how good it is to be saved. This really is a Thanksgiving message, is really what it is. It's a salvation message. But I, I, as the song says, to so take the world, but give me Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world has to offer. The Bible ends with Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit of the bride say, come, and whosoever is a thirst, let him come, and whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. There's a free gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. He's only a prayer away. If the gospel is so simple. Why doesn't everyone receive it? Well, there's that blindness, there's hardening of heart, there's dullness. But then there's the hearing of the word of God that brings light, that brings reception, hopefully, brings a freeing, a free, more freer than we've ever been. And so my final concluding thought is this. Earthly life is eternally better after receiving the glorious gospel of Christ. Look at the last two verses of chapter 4, if you would please make application and done. For our light affliction. Anybody here have been having a hard time in life? Anybody here having afflictions going on in your body? Anybody here having afflictions in your family? Anybody having some setbacks? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, in the space of all eternity, this three score and ten we call earthly life, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse number 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. This world is not my home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But the, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We seek another city whose builder and maker is God. We get heaven and all this too, the abundant Christian overcoming Christian life and this glorious gospel of Christ. So earth is eternally better after receiving The glorious gospel of Christ. Things go better. My new phrase, I I just thought of it just about a month ago. And so I've been using it five times now. Things go better. with. used to be Coca-Cola. I say things go better with Christ. Things go better with Christ. He alone. That glorious gospel. He gives us that praise, that doxology. And we say praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's so wonderful to be saved. Have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Are you still... Are you still hardened to it or are you still dull to it? I want you to know that he's a simple prayer way. You can be saved by the same gospel that saved me many years ago now. You can be saved today because it's so simple that a child can understand it. Let's bow for prayer. I want to give you the opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior this morning if you've not been saved. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. I come to you in childlike faith, in simplicity. Lord, there's been hundreds of books written called the Mishnah, called the Talmud, the explaining of the Old Testament scriptures. And yet, Lord, there are people that still, they're sophisticated, but they're still lost. They've overcomplicated the simple, the obvious. With plain speech, Lord, you said to a very sophisticated man, you must be born again. Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, I've tried to say in the last 40 minutes the best way I know how to this crowd of people, that they must be born again. Why would not they say unto thee, ye must be born again? Lord, maybe there's someone today that needs to pray the sinner's prayer in honesty and childlike faith, Lord, not just with their head, but with their heart. May they call upon you and we'll thank you for it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe I'm speaking to one person this morning. Maybe I'm speaking to several. Maybe members of this church, Baptist but not Christian, Churchgoers, but not a member of Christ. Spirit of God, may they quit playing. May the gospel not be hidden to them any longer. May they receive Christ as Savior in a simple way this morning. We'll thank you for it. Pray that you give them unction, Spirit of God, and save is only you can save. If you're here this morning, you'd like to be saved, and you believe that Jesus is the only Savior, He's all the Savior that you need you believe he died on the cross for you and was buried and rose again the third day by his own power, and you believe that he alone can save you, then I invite you to pray this simple prayer in the stillness of your heart where I pray it aloud. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to pay for my sins myself. I'm lost. I deserve to go to hell. Now right now in the most humble way I know how I ask that you please forgive me of my sin come into my heart Lord Jesus be my Lord and Savior yes Jesus I believe you died on the cross for my sins that you were buried and that you rose again the third day by your own power And I believe that with all of my heart and I know I can't save myself I ask that you come into my heart and be my Savior you and you alone And I'll call upon you to bring me your child. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name. Heavenly Father, I pray you're blessed with Christians this morning. Thank you on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Thank you for the Thanksgiving, for your unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation, this glorious gospel. Blessed in our moments of invitation, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together, if we could, here. Take your hymn book and turn to page number...